Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on College Football Survivor Show, Pac-12. Last of the Power 5 conferences, Shahan, that we need to discuss. If you guys haven't listened to them, I would direct you back toward the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 10 that we have done the last two weeks. Shahan, can I hold you off on talking about Cal, or should we start with Cal? Because you are infatuated with Cal, and I know why you are. And I know why you are. And don't try to don't try to trick us into thinking it's about Northern California. Can we wait, or should we start with Cal? We we can wait. We can wait. There is a category that they fit into that I want to talk about. I will say it is not my uh, my. <laughs> they are not on my list of playoff teams either now or in the future. I will tell you that. But I don't know. You just ever have a feeling about a random team where you're just like. Oh, this seems smarter than what you were doing before. I feel like you sh- you could have been doing this the whole time, but like, did you figure something out? Did you like get some good advice from somebody? And I don't know. That just kind of feels like what Cal is doing right now. But we really don't need to start with Cal. There's too much good football in this league to start with. Maybe Cal can have a nice five and seven. And then I'll reveal why you feel that way when we get to Cal. We will discuss that. It's like, ah, I wonder. Why does Shahan love Cal? I can't figure out. All right, so the way we do start with these uh, conference playoff previews, it is a playoff show, as people are aware, is we talk about how many contenders do you actually have in a conference. And I think the Pac-12 has more legit playoff contenders than any other conference in the country. Is that a true statement or a false statement, Shahan? I say true. I have a list of, uh, should I get my number now or do you give your number? Yeah. Let's see what it is. I have five on my list. Okay. It's like four and a half and it's an Oregon state conversation. Right. And, and it's one of those things. This is one of those. uh, Can you really get there with Oregon state, but you didn't get there with Kansas state. Like what's for real. (laughs) Come on, Sean. Like Kansas state is offended. Kansas State's like, well, I get it. Jonathan Smith's good, and they got DJ, but what are you doing? So I, there's like a certain like group of teams like that. It's not a huge group. It might only be two. It might just be Kansas State and Oregon State. But Washington, USC, Utah, Oregon, we agree on. Why are you at – I'm at four and a half. I wasn't sure whether to go there with Oregon State or not. Why are you willing to go there? Well, let's turn it back to Kansas State for a second. What on Kansas State – other than internal improvement, which will be real and legitimate and matters, will be better, will be tangibly better than it was last season. So this is this is the Pac-12 conversation because this applies to Oregon State, and I think you can apply it to every other team at the top of the Pac-12. I don't know about Kansas State, but about Oregon State, there are things that are going to be better. Yes. Uh, so... I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Uh, they got a quarterback transfer. Mm. I think he's, uh, oh, I don't remember. Is it Tristan Jebiet? No, no, it's not that one. No, Uh, uh, no, not a Todd. Maybe a a Chris or, no, no. It's a DJ. That's right. It's DJ Uyunglele. Somebody who has come up once or twice in college football over the past couple of years. And 
just happened to play in an offensive system that basically was like, what if you were just better than everybody else and all of our receivers was better than everybody else? And that's the whole premise of the system. And when it doesn't work that way, it doesn't actually work very well. And maybe another quarterback who was really good named Brennan Armstrong also played in a similar system at Virginia and it sucked. Well, what if that guy got to play in a good offensive system mm. with a smart, smart offensive coordinator? I, okay, that's not, I, I don't want to sound like Clemson isn't smart, but like, I think Brian Lindgren. Too late. Oh man, Brian Lindgren and Jonathan Smith are really, really good, really, really smart offensive minds. Uh, Jonathan Smith, for people who don't know, offensive coordinator on the Washington team that made the playoff in 2016. He coached Jake Browning to the college football playoff, and I don't know if you know this, Doug. But Oregon State beat Oregon last year, despite throwing for only 60 yards. I don't think we've talked about that. I don't think that's been mentioned here before. And now they're going to bring in a quarterback who is, I mean, is the most talented quarterback, I think, that you'd say to play at uh, at Oregon State since, what was it, Derek Anderson in early 2000s? Hmm. Like, that's how yeah. long Future it's Brown. been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who isn't? Uh, you know, I think that... This is something that could really pan out in a big way. And I don't think it's just about him. They have some rebuilding they do on the defensive side of the ball. And frankly, I'm very upset at linebacker Omar Spates for transferring to LSU because come on, man, that's that's not very nice. But the defense, I think you trust their development there. You trust what they do there. They were a very experienced unit last year. And offensively, they were a great running unit. Damian Martinez, a kid from right down the road from me, by the way, at Louisville High School. You want to hear? You want to hear about uh, Louisville High School's act? They, they don't do a whole lot. Uh, they're not very good, but a good player, a really good player who was nearly a thousand yard rusher for them as a freshman. And I don't know. Like I, I just feel like they were a ten win team last year that nobody talked about as a ten win team. I think that they have. Uh, we did a, a ranking of the best coordinator combos, right? A couple of uh, a couple of months ago, and Oregon State was in my top ten. That's how good I think that they are. And so you bring all of that, you add a quarterback who I think will be asked to, I guess I'd say, carry the mental load a little less than he was at Clemson. I think that he'll be able to to play just a little bit more free and rely on some of his physical gifts. And and I think that the comparison is very easy for me. I think this is very much a Bo Nick situation where he's just going to step into a system that makes sense for him, that that magnifies his skills. And this thing could be off the charts. They returned four or five starters on the offensive line and two, including two great tackles. Honestly, as good of a tackle pair as you'll find in the country. And I think they have a transfer in there as uh, an experienced guy who will be the fifth offensive lineman. So they have depth. They didn't lose much from last year. And so I'll get to five. I'll agree. All right. And this is fascinating that this is like this at the top because I just would like to remind people of something, Shahan, which is what we like to do here on the College Football Survivor Show. It's much easier to remind people of things that happened in the past than predict things that will happen in the future. Last year. The college football playoff rankings, the final ones at the end of the season, you go, ah, eh, these four teams are in the playoff, but here are the rankings before the bowls, all that stuff. Do you want to guess how many Pac-12 teams were in the top 15 of the final college football playoff rankings last year? The final one. So USC, Utah, 
I think would both be in it. I, I are Washington must have gotten there, right? They must have been in the top fifteen. And then I'd imagine Oregon was just outside. So I'd say three. Five. Oh. All five we're talking about. Oh. Top 15. Top 15 in the final college football playoff rankings last year. Shout out to the committee. Pac-12, five. SEC and Big Ten, three each. ACC and Big 12, two each. So all we're asking for when we're having a discussion about contenders, can these teams possibly make the playoff? We're looking at replicating last year, the final playoff rankings last year. Utah is the Pac-12 champs beating USC in the conference championship game. They were eight. USC was 10. Washington was 12. Oregon State was 14. Oregon was 15. So that's all that we're talking about. And here's the other thing I want to say. Top 100 picks in the NFL draft last year. That's like into the pretty deep into the third round, right? Do you want to guess how many came from these top five Pac-12 teams? Do you want to guess how many draft picks they lost in the top 100? I'll say like seven. Six. Only six. Yeah. So USC lost two. Oregon lost two. Oregon State lost one. And Luke Musgrave, the tight end, who actually was hurt for, for chunks of last year, right? Utah lost one. And Dalton Kincaid is a great tight end, but they they just pump out tight ends. Yeah. Brent Keithy was supposed to be their top guy over Dalton Kincaid. So and, and instead he's back. USC loses Jordan Addison at receiver, who's an excellent receiver, but they bring in Dorian Singer as a transfer. Like, they're not going to drop off there. USC also lost the great defensive player, whose name I always get wrong, that you really <laughs> liked on the defensive line. Do you want to say it? Yeah, yeah. Tuli Tui Polotu. So that's a loss, right? But they also, as we have talked about, they brought in like a gazillion transfers on the defensive line at USC. And then Oregon lost two guys. Chris Gonzalez. Christian Gonzalez was a, a top half of the first round cornerback. That's legit, but it, again, they were all good, okay? They were all good. That's five good teams who did not lose the heart of what made them good. It's not like Alabama losing Bryce Young and Will Anderson. It's just not. Washington, do you know how many guys Washington had drafted in April? Washington, 11-win Washington. Do you want to guess how many guys were drafted? Was it zero? I thought I think it was zero, right? Zero. And it's not because they're not good. It's because they're all still at school. Yes. And that is a very, very, very important distinction is I do think that there are top hundred talents on these teams, right? I don't think that we're going to get through the season and all of these teams replicate what they do. And they're next year only be five or six top hundred draft picks. I'd expect it to be closer to 13 or 14. Because my point is not that these teams were good without talent. My, t- my point is these teams were good with talent and not much of the talent left. So if they were contenders a year ago and there were five, I don't think there is any reason to expect that these same five teams won't be contenders this year. Is, are we in agreement on this? Is the world in agreement on this? I want to make sure that like like everybody knows this, right? That the ta- the Pac-12 is talented and they all stuck around. So the piece that I'm going to be keeping an eye on is the schedules lined up a little nicer last year to where Washington got to 10-11 without having to play a lot of everybody else. 
I think the Pac-12 made it just a little bit more of a meat grinder this year. And that's what's going to change who will actually be a legitimate national title contender, be a legitimate college football playoff contender. So the reality is when we're heading into the final weeks of the season, I don't think that we'll have five in the final 15. But I think that some people will come out of this group and all five of them deserve to be a part of that conversation. It would be better for the Pac-12 if there's not five in the top 15, because if there's five in the top 15, it's going to be just like last year, which means nobody in the top four, nobody in the top six. The highest ranked team was eight last year. If you want to get somebody in the playoff, that means some other people are going to have to lose. So, by the way, and we can get into this more later when we talk about the schedules, which we always do, the five teams that we're talking about, they all play each other, except Oregon State and USC do not play. But Utah plays the other four, Oregon plays the other four, Washington plays the other four. So they're not hiding from each other. There are going to be no secrets here. They are going to hash this out on the field. This is not, there's a good division and a weak division and someone's going to beat up and get beat up and someone's going to slide through because there are no divisions in the Pac-12 anymore. Like we're going to figure it out. There's not going to be any debate by the end of the year. But I am fascinated where this goes because also, which I've talked about, on every playoff conference preview. Once again, I just think when we did the Big 12, I was like, well, they have a lot of experienced quarterbacks. And I, everybody does. There's just, with the transfer world, everybody moves around, everybody transfers. There's just a lot of opportunity for dudes to find spots. So there are six returning starting quarterbacks in the Pac-12. There are eight starting quarterbacks in the Pac-12 for this season who have made at least 20 career starts, which is like practically two seasons of starting. It starts with Bo Nix at Oregon, who's made 47 career starts, which is more than anybody in the country. You cannot find a more experienced college football quarterback in the history of college football than Bo Nix at Oregon. Cam Ward at Washington State, give him a nod. He's made 32 career starts. Michael Penix at Washington, 30 career starts. DJ Uyunglele, 28 career starts, all at Clemson. Jaden Delora at Arizona, we'll give him a nod, 27 career starts. Shador Sanders, give him a nod at Colorado, 26 career starts. Cam Rising at Utah, 25 career starts. And then who's the other guy? Can't, what's that guy's name? Oh, Cam, Caleb Williams, the uh, Heisman winner, 21 career starts. So again, all these guys, this is not... Like we might be talking about it at Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia, where we think you're a good team, but we're not sure about your quarterback. All five teams we're talking about, Shahan, 47, 30, 28, 25, 21 career starts for the five starting quarterbacks for the five best teams. That also matters if you're trying to feel good about calling team a playoff contender. No, it's huge. And I think that when you compare the Pac-12 to the other conferences that we've talked about, like the Big 12, for example. It's not just that these guys are experienced. It's that very many of them have experience at their school specifically. There's a lot of true returning starters. There's a lot of true full-time returning starters, guys like Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Caleb Williams. And so this, I, I, I let me put it like this. If this is not the best quarterback conference in the country, I think that should be seen as a disappointment. Like last year, we thought the ACC was going to be it, and they weren't. And it, I think that was a disappointment. The Pac-12 needs to be that conference this year. And again, we've seen them do it. There's no reason it shouldn't be the case. 
Okay, so we're establishing there are five real teams that need to be on your radar as a college football fan. And we're going to get to the game. This is going to be a humdinger. Second half of the season is going to be lights out in the Pac-12. Spoiler. Who could throw a wrench into this? Because it is easy when you do prognostications like this, you think, oh, the five best teams, we'll all play each other, we'll figure it out. And then someone's going to beat somebody that we don't see coming. That's going to have a huge effect on the race in the Pac-12. So which team is most likely to play that spoiler role, Shahan? Well, let's have the conversation. So I just wrote down Cal. I just wrote down Cal. I, even, I don't even know where it is. I don't know what their colors are. I don't know who their players are. I don't know who their coaches are. All I saw was you tweet about it the other day. And I was like, well, he'll just take this part. So I just wrote down <laughs> Cal. I, I could stand for Cal Ripken Jr. for all I know. I don't know what it means. Cal. That's all I know. And I turned the floor over to you. Oh, and I also know this. It, they're coached by all Texas guys. And their quarterback came from TCU. And that's why you like them. And that's why you like them. How not many? All, no. Like uh, seven couple, of the 10 assistants couple, are from couple, Texas. A couple, that's a couple. All. Come on. How many of the Cal staffers know Joey McGuire personally? The Texas <laughs> well, Tech all coach. of them. Joey McGuire knows everybody. Yeah, they were all groomsmen in his wedding, I bet. <laughs> no, he officiated. He officiated his own wedding. It's crazy. That's right. I saw you tweet about how someone said how Joey McGuire officiated in two of his players' weddings. He officiated his own wedding? No, no, no. That's a joke. That one was a joke. Oh. But, 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 that's a baller move. Yeah. Do yeah, I take yeah. this woman to be my lawfully? Yes, I do take her. <laughs> I don't think wives would go for that. Hey, <laughs> no, honey, no. I have an idea. I'm going to be the groom and I'm going to officiate. That is not. If that has happened anywhere in the history of the world, maybe the wife would be. No, a, could do it. That's definitely happened before. hundred percent happened before. You under you underestimate men, man. It, we are something else. We are something else. Men are the worst. <laughs> okay. So, like, Okay. Can I restate for the record? Just again, this is an informational podcast. Did Texas Tech head coach Joey McGuire officiate his own wedding? Yes or no? He did not. Okay. Double checking. Go ahead with the Cal stuff. Man, see, the worst part about this is I actually am going to bring up Texas Tech at another point later, and now you've already preempted us to it. Anyway, anyway, let's focus on Cal. Uh, for people who don't know, by the way, uh, the entire UC system, so UCLA, Cal Berkeley, all of those types of schools, they all have blue and yellow as their colors in some form or fashion. So if you were curious, Cal has a blue and yellow as well, blue and gold in their case, as their form of colors. But so here's the deal. Justin Wilcox has been there for I think it's going on seven years at this point. He's been there forever and he has made some truly miserable offensive coordinator hires and they've struggled. They haven't been very good and they've been good on defense for multiple years, but just never had the offense to match. So here's what I like about this Cal team. One, they brought in Jake Spavadol back as offensive coordinator. He was the former head coach of Texas State, but he's better known. Uh, he was offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. He was offensive coordinator under Dana Holgerson at West Virginia. He was at Oklahoma State under Dana Holgerson, I believe, as an analyst uh, during the 2010 Oklahoma State season. And he also, by the way, was the offensive coordinator at Cal under Sonny Dykes in 2016, I think it was. And they had the number one offense in the country that year. Now. What 
Jake Spavadol does in 2023 is probably not as effective as it was in 2016. But it does matter, I think. I do think that he is going to be a productive offensive coordinator. The other thing that I like about this, they brought in two other assistants, one who's a Texan, one who's not. Uh, the Texan is former North Texas offensive coordinator and offensive line coach Mike Blush. He comes from that Seth Luttrell tree. He called plays for a big part of last season. So like he's pretty legit. And they had a good offense last year. That's not why that staff was let go. And the other one that's kind of a wild card is this guy named Tim Plow, who was offensive coordinator at Boise State, and it did not work whatsoever. But before that, he was offensive coordinator at UC Davis under, do you know who the head coach at UC Davis is actually? Is it somebody from Texas? No, it's not. It's not. Uh, I don't. Uh, I should. Uh, It's the guy. Well, the guy, the Washington quarterback just transferred there, right? That's Cal Poly. That's Cal Poly. <laughs> then no, then I don't. <laughs> my next, uh, my next venture is going to be going deep into California college football. But uh, no, it's Dan Hawkins, the former Colorado coach, is now oh, the head coach at UC Davis. So this guy, Tim Plow, was a really young, exciting up-and-comer under, uh, under Dan Hawkins at UC Davis. Did not work at Boise State, just did not fit their identity whatsoever. But now he's going to kind of have a second life, I think as tight ends coach at Cal and they were very aggressive in the portal. They added a quarterback, like you mentioned, Sam Jackson from TCU, who's going to compete for starting jobs. And if nothing else is going to be an athletic wrinkle, he is like a five eleven fireball on the field. They added multiple wide receivers. They added a couple of running backs. Like they were very aggressive in the transfer portal on the offensive side of the ball. And here's the thing. It might not matter this year. It, it might not be great this year. But I think that this is a more well-put-together team than it's been in the past couple of years, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And the other part you have to like about it is that they get a lot of these teams <laughs> on their 2023 schedule. So September 23rd, they're at Washington. October 7th, they're versus Oregon State. October 14th, they're at Utah. October 28th, they're at versus USC. That's a game that I'm going to probably have circled on my calendar. November 4th at Oregon. So like they get them all. They also play Auburn, by the way, in week two of the season in a game that should just be so weird in so many ways. Why Why is Auburn playing in Berkeley, California? I don't understand that at all. But like they'll have a lot of opportunities, I think, to show something. And that's really all they have to do because you look at the rest of their schedule. The funny thing about the Pac-12 is there is such a delineation between the good and the bad in the Pac-12. So like they play at North Texas, also very weird versus Idaho, versus Arizona State, versus Washington State at Stanford, at UCLA. I think they have a good chance to win four of those games at least, and maybe five. And if they upset somebody, that could be a bowl game. And I just think that this is a different-looking Cal team when you look at the construction of their roster, when you look at the construction of their coaching staff. The fact that they'd hire people like Jake Spavadol and Mike Blesch and Tim Plow tells me that uh, that Justin Wilcox acknowledges, man, we got to be better on that side of the ball. We can't just try to squeeze things out. And this might be more of a 2024 pick, but uh, who was it last year? I had I had some team that I was just like a little, little excited about. Kansas. Oh, yeah, about Kansas. I tried to tell people. I was just like, it's not going to be as bad as you think. Like, they're going to do some stuff. They're going to figure some stuff out. 
And maybe this is more of a next year conversation, but maybe it's a this year conversation. So there are a lot of games on Cal's schedule that are scheduled losses, but I think that they could steal one. So that idea, right? If they get one, if they get one, it's going to have an impact. So like Kansas last year starts five and zero, oh, but they did get, they got Oklahoma state in November and like, it kind of mattered, right? This is the kind of thing. And I do like the idea that they do have all five of the top teams on their schedule. And I think that's important. They get five swings at it. Do you want to, if we were making a betting line, college football survivor show betting line, will Cal beat one of the f- top five teams in the pac 12? Would you bet? Yes or no. They win one of those five games. They spring one huge upset. I think they do. I think that you just look at the amount of opportunities they have. You look at, you know, some of these teams are going to get like in weird situations like USC. They get a they get a buy before they play USC. That might be a kind of tricky game. Now, (laughs) God bless the Bay Area. My wife is from there. I don't think that these teams are going to be overwhelmed necessarily with Cal's home field advantage. but. I do think also a part of it is going to be that Cal is going to play a more fun brand of football. You know, Cal put together the number 17 transfer class in the entire country. The number 17 class is coming to Cal. There's no reason why that should be the case. And again, lots and lots of offensive players. Uh, you know, if you want to keep talking Texans, they added an offensive lineman, Matthew Wyckoff from Texas A&M, who started a bunch of games for them at center. Like, I don't know. Maybe this looks absolutely insane by the end of the year. Uh, King Doru is, is somebody who transferred from Purdue, right? Somebody at running back who was like a, a physical type runner for them. I don't know. I, I just have my eye on this space and maybe it'll be nothing. Maybe they'll go three and nine and the entire staff will be fired. But like, I don't know. Maybe not. It's like eight, nine good minutes on Cal. That's good. That's good. I have none. I just left it up to you. My <laughs> Cal thing is, I think I've told the story here before, Ohio State played at Cal in 2013, and I was going to the bathroom in the press box right before kickoff, and Tom Herman, the Ohio State offensive coordinator, came in, and he was like, can you believe how many Ohio State fans are here? Because the whole crowd <laughs> was red. And I was just like, it's Cal, man. I don't, know what, I don't know what to tell you. Like, Ohio State fans wanted to go to California. What, what year was this? 2013. Oh, 2013. So this might have been even the year before Sunny Dykes got there, right? So this might have been like a really bad year. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that, that was like Tedford Redmonds, I think. Or it might have been Sunny Dykes year one, the year Tack oh, Cal went one and 11. That would have been the one and 11 year. That's not very good. Not very good. So uh, look, if you're asking me to buy Cal Futures, I, I, I cannot invest in that program long term <laughs> but you know yeah. if you're asking me to buy 18 month futures like i don't know maybe a lottery knows? ticket just because you buy a cow lottery ticket that's all yeah why not see what happens that's what you have to do to live there my god i was gonna say you you th- you used to work for dave campbell's texas football right yes and when you started going into cal poly and uc davis and i know you wanted to start talking <laughs> about banana slugs or whatever I was envisioning Shahan Jeharaja's California football. And then, boom, you would just you would take over the state, man. And plus, you could go live in the state where your wife's from. Yeah. um, You know, my my mother-in-law really wants us to come back and live there. And I'm like, man, do magazines bring in one point five million dollars a year? Because I am just not sure how a content (laughs) creator is going to live in the Bay Area on on that kind of money. But uh, 
look, I, I'm down. You know what? I think now is a great time to get into California football. If you're UC Riverside right now, down in the LA area, you got to start a football program right now and hope they get a Pac-12 invite, right? Like you have to, you have to start taking some swings, man. Now it sounds like you want to be an AD. That's what, that's what you're positioning yourself for. I would never want to start a new football program in California as an AD because they do not care. I was going to mention that your mother-in-law wants you to move back to California, but I thought, is that really my place to say that? So I'm glad you said it because I didn't want it to be like, hey, Doug, can you take out that part about how my mother-in-law wants us to move back to California? It's going to be really uncomfortable for my family if you leave that in there. So anyway, you just said it. So then it's all good. He's not coming. Football is it's California. It's too expensive. He's in Texas. He's in he's the he's the the face of Texas football. It's hard to pass up. All right, when we come back, the most important games, little off the radar games, which team might be a playoff team in five years next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, back with three most important games of the season. And I just made a a little spreadsheet on my legal pad. Let me ask you this. There are some non-conference games, and I actually have one that I do want to talk about for our off-the-radar game. But when we talk about Florida-Utah, which actually wound up mattering a lot last year, USC gets Notre Dame later in the schedule. Like, Are those on your radar for potentially one of the three most important games, or are we really locked in on the round robin of these top five teams? Well, that's, that's what's interesting about this group is that like, it's, it's five teams, right? Like we do not care about really anything else in this conference outside of those games. And so I treated the non-conference matchups, which are, I think very significant as off the radar games, but like, I almost feel like it just goes without saying that all of the games against the five are important. Like, I I almost feel like that's not a conversation that's especially worth having. Like, I'll be interested, uh, you know, especially when you look at some of these um, when you look at some of these other matchups that don't involve the five teams like, uh, you know, USC and UCLA are obviously about to leave the conference and like, you know, Oregon gets gets USC at home on November 11th in their last game against a non-UCLA Pac-12 team. That might be kind of interesting. And actually, like, again, when you look at the sequencing of the schedule, I mean, that latter half of the year might be crazy because you go at Notre Dame versus Utah at Cal, which obviously is going to be a loss, like we mentioned, uh, versus Washington at Oregon versus UCLA. But like that is that is such a trap game, right? Like that is a very difficult sequence, I think, when you talk about the latter half of the season for USC. So you've got USC at six and six. Is that what I'm reading here? <laughs> I'm trying to get a, a no, no, no. I, I have them you. at eleven and one, and they beat all of these teams except for Cal. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say, so there are nine games in the round robin because they all yes. play each other, as we said, except for Oregon State, USC. The first one is week five. On September 30th, it's Utah at Oregon State. And then starting with week seven on October 14th, there's one game every week. So one in week seven, one in week eight, one in week nine, one in week 10, two in week 11, one in week 12, one in week 13. Like they are, these best teams are going to be banging heads against each other. There's going to be something that Matt, now again, if one, if one of these teams just gets, oh, they just get, 
off to a bad start and all of a sudden, you know, they're going to be four and three going into these one of, one of these games. But you should know in your heart, they're actually still pretty good at football. It's just the way probably someone's going to have to be the team that loses a bunch of these. I will say, looking at the schedule, realizing that Oregon State plays three of these games instead of four, and Oregon State gets Utah and Washington at home, and they don't play USC, their only road game against one of the other best teams is at Oregon in the rivalry game in the last game of the regular season. In a game where they have not won in Eugene, Oregon State has not won on the road in this game since 2007, but they did get over the hump against Oregon last year in a series that Oregon has dominated. Oregon State before last year had only won twice in like the previous 15 years. If we're talking about schedules and these games that matter, and I think our point is all these games against each other matter. I'll tell you what, man, like Oregon State from a schedule standpoint has an edge in all of this. If they're there, they have a really good offensive line. We talked about DJ at quarterback, Jonathan Smith. Everybody thinks is a good coach. And there's a point I want to make about that later. If they like if they have a chance to position themselves here, Shahan, that the schedule, I think, really matters. And if you're looking for it's not a dark horse, but I think most people would list them fifth among the five. They have the best path to getting there no i I think that there's a lot of truth to that and i I will say too if the pac-12 office puts any of these games on the pac-12 network i will go down and pick at the office tomorrow i'll go get the entire writing guild and all the actors and we're gonna march down on i don't even know where their centralized office is at this point i don't know if they have one at this point i think i might all be working from home now but i will find somebody's house and we will go and pick at it if they put one of these games on the pac-12 network anyway Again, the sequencing matters a lot with this stuff, right? And I think when you look at Oregon State, they don't play any of them until Utah at home on September 29th. I think if you play Utah, you want to play them early. You you want to play them in September because that's when they've tended to struggle. And by the way, Utah has to play Oregon, uh, Oregon State after just a few weeks earlier playing both Florida and Baylor. That is a really weird stretch, I think, for one of these teams. So you get them early. Then obviously, you know, they go on the road and lose to Cal. And then UCLA at Arizona, at Colorado. I think that's about where you want to get them versus Stanford. And then like you finish with Washington and at Oregon. That's that's not too imposing, if we're being quite honest. Yeah, it, I, I, the sequencing is a really good point. Oregon doesn't play anybody back to back of the good teams. So like Oregon is at Washington, then a lesser game, then at Utah, then a lesser game, then USC, then a lesser game, then Oregon State. So they don't have it. Washington, meanwhile, November 4th, November 11th, November 20th, November 18th, those three weekends at USC, Utah, at Oregon State for Washington. That's going to be hell. That's going to be hell. Because I will tell you this. When I look at Washington, when I look at Michael Penix, when I look at um, Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan at receiver, probably the second best receiver room in the country behind Ohio State. Braylon Trice on the defensive line might be the best defensive player in the Pac-12. Like I look at Washington and I don't know from a talent standpoint, everybody loves Kalen DeBoer as a head coach. It feels like to me that Washington is the best team in the Pac-12. I think that's what I think. Okay. But this November makes me nervous. 
And so I do think you, you have to do two things here. You have to decide who you think has the most talent in the Pac-12, and then you have to decide who you think is going to win the Pac-12, and that might not be the same thing because they are going to beat each other up. And this November for Washington – and then, oh, by the way, if you get through those games, then Washington State is waiting in the Apple Cup to ruin your season. So congratulations on your November. It is bonkers for Washington. I think Washington has a very realistic chance. I know they play Oregon, but it's at home. I think Washington could – absolutely be 8-0 going into November. But this ridiculous November is waiting for them, and it would make me nervous. I still, though, like Washington the best, as we talk about all these round robins. Just so we get on the record, who do you like the best when you think about this? Well, first, I have to take an aside and say you forgot to mention Lufkin, Texas's own Jalen Polk uh, when mentioning the uh, receiver room. So come on, man. Come on. You can't be doing that. Texas Tech transfer. John J. Rogers, California football full of <laughs> Texas people. Can't be doing You'll that. You'll only be- put Texas people on the cover <laughs> of Shahan J. Rogers, California football. We can make that Everyone happen. has to wear a cowboy hat on the cover, like all oh, these come people on. in California. That, that is what so is- outdated. I've lived in Dallas my whole life, never owned a cowboy hat, never owned a pair of cowboy boots. Come on now. Look, come you, on. You, you live in Ohio. So that mad. doesn't mean that you like have corrugated iron behind you. I don't know. What do people in Ohio do? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they go to Dunkin' Donuts. I thought we covered that before. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> actually, you know, I, this is a, an aside. I follow this one guy on TikTok who's like a big Ohio State fan who's like a chef, like a home chef who makes these like really wholesome videos about like cooking and like uh, like he gives like the background of like where every dish came from and how it developed and like its history, basically. And I just know that he's an anonymous Ohio State account yelling at me. I just know it because <laughs> he is so wholesome and he has like an Ohio State crockpot. And I'm just like, that dude is so mad at me. I know it. And uh, yeah. luckily he doesn't know who I am. Anyway. How dare you doubt CJ Stroud? You're doing TikToks, by the way, right? You've started doing TikToks? I'm trying some stuff out. Look, Twitter may be collapsing, and I kind of just want to have more than one basket for all my eggs. And so, you know, we're we're trying stuff. We're trying stuff. Let's see how it goes. Um, Okay, let's get back to the original question at hand. I can't remember. Who do I I like best? Who do you like? Who's yeah. your USC team? Yeah. yeah. Oh, who's your yeah, backpack? Yeah. It's USC. Don't who's act like it's not USC. I just said who's the answer. Who's your USC team? team? So here's – I think that I like USC and Washington best. So Washington's such a weird team to me because I think I'm just trying to figure out, like, is everything that happened last season with Michael Panix definitely replicable? You know, is that definitely something that's going to happen again? And he was unbelievable last season. He was so, so freaking good. I almost feel like, not on this program, we definitely talked about it on this program and tried to tell people, but I don't feel like nationally it it hit the way that I expected it to, the way that Michael Penix took over college football last season. I've said it before, like, I I don't know if it's just like an angles thing or if it's just like the way that they play their games or like maybe it's just him being a lefty. I feel like when I watch Michael Penix play, I'm like, everything looks really hard, man. Like everything is just like so long. Everything is so far. And maybe it's just like a visual thing. I don't know the answer to that, but it always makes me just like a little nervous. And that's a dumb reason to feel a little nervous about it. But like, 
you know, we saw him at Indiana and there were some amazing moments and there were some down moments. And a lot of it had to do with injuries, but like we never saw that level of consistency from Michael Penix Jr. And I am most definitely, I want to be clear, rooting for him to replicate it. But there's just like that thought in the back of my mind that maybe maybe he drops a 62% completion instead of 66 like he was this past year. And it's awesome and it's really good. But like I know 100% what Caleb Williams will give me in 2023. And I like who they added uh, at USC on the defensive side of the ball. Anthony Lucas and Bear Alexander on the defensive line give them talents that I really, (laughs) I'm trying to think the last time that that a pairing like that just has recruiting talents. It's been a while. It's been a really long time. Does that mean that everything's going to be fixed? No, but offensively, they should be probably, if they're not the best offense in the country, it's because Ohio State is, and that's probably the only team that can compete with them for that. And defensively, I just think that they're going to be better. I I think that they're going to be passable on that side of the ball because I feel like we looked at USC last season and we're like this is this is everything an Alex Grinch unit can be and like no man they they were slapping stuff together they were putting stuff together with duct tape in a big way now there's questions about what the ceiling of that unit can be but it's not going to be as bad as it was last season I feel pretty confident in that so I think it's USC I mean it is unbelievable that USC kind of managed to exist above the rest of the fields for basically the whole season last year in Lincoln Riley's first season and I think they're only going to continue to get better as it's Lincoln Riley players coming into the program. All right. So let's talk about off the radar game. And I will say for everything I've said about Washington, my off the radar game that I feel like is going to blow a hole in the entire season is the opener against Boise State. <laughs> Boise State is probably the best team in the Mountain West. They have a, a, a returning starting quarterback in Taylor Green. They have nine of 11 starting uh, starters back on offense. And I just can imagine me being like, I think Washington's going to go to the playoff. I think Washington. And then they lose to Boise State in the opener. It's like, well, I am already wrong. So that is an off the radar game that I think that would. It's not like Washington has to beat Boise State to build up its resume. But again, like this, they're, they're, they're probably, if this was a 12 team playoff year, Boise State would be getting talked about as they have a chance to be a playoff team. And so I, like, I just, I just can see it in my head because this often is what happens to teams that I think are going to be good. So what's a, what's an off the radar game that you have that could really matter? Yeah. Uh, so, so I will say if Washington were to lose to Boise state, then like this conversation with them is over. Like it, it is not a real conversation yep. that a team that lost to Boise state would be considered a playoff team. Now I, I think Boise state will be pretty good. I don't think they're going to be that level. I don't think they're, 2021 Cincinnati, I don't think they're 2017 UCF. I certainly don't think that the Mountain West is what that that American Athletic Conference has been for a couple of years. I think it's honestly going to be kind of bad this year. And honestly, I'm not thrilled about the fact that Boise didn't win the thing last year. Like, what the hell happened there? But when I look at these off-the-radar games, I'm going to go to the team that we really haven't touched on at all. and. This is one of the weirder teams I feel like in college football this year, and that's Oregon. Oregon in week two goes and travels to Lubbock, Texas to go play Texas Tech. Who's their coach? Uh, Tim DeRuder, I think. Um, no, Joey McGuire. <laughs> uh, so actually, funny story. Tim DeRuder is our defensive coordinator, and he came from Mario Cristobal, or, uh, Mario Cristobal's Oregon staff 
whenever they left the program. And he's done, I think, a really good job so far in Lubbock. And on top of that, Tyler Shuck, Texas Tech's quarterback, was the starter for Oregon the last time they won the Pac-12 championship. So, like, it's a weird sort of intertwined game in some ways because of that. And there are going to be so many expectations for Oregon heading into this year because of the talent that they have and because of what Bo Nix has done so far in his career. Uh, by the way, Oregon's new offensive coordinator, Will Stein, former offensive coordinator at uh, UTSA and also a former Lake Travis High School assistant, just if you're curious. Mm. But uh, <laughs> no one's curious, by the way, but we like it when you tell us that anyway. <laughs> this is like, I, I feel like we need to have an Oregon conversation because I do agree. Yeah. I think that USC and or Washington is probably the best team. I think that. Uh, I, I think that you look at Oregon State, they have the most manageable path. And then I think you look at Utah and they're the team who's won it twice in a row. So like, where does that leave Oregon in the context of all of this? And for me, they're a really nice team that, that I just like, I don't even know how good I thought they were last year, to be honest. I think that they are a really good, talented team who also played well against teams that weren't very good and didn't play all that well against teams that were pretty good and, you know, beat North Carolina by one point and lost to Oregon state, despite uh, their opponent's quarterback throwing for 60 yards and lost to Washington in a must win game. And it's just, I don't know what to think about this Oregon team, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's a good question. Bo Nix is such an X factor and, you know, you start looking at NFL draft, predictions and that kind of thing and and it feels like there are nfl draft analysts who like bo nix and he's been around forever and he's he made some a lot of winning plays for oregon last year but i don't know they have good i think their their tackles are pretty good too i just there's not something that individually excites me about oregon in the same way i feel like i could get excited about every other team in the top group right whether it's Oregon State's offensive line or Caleb Williams at USC or the overall passing game at Washington or just sort of like the toughness and the way Utah goes about things. And it's not a shot at Oregon. It's not. Oregon's really good. But I think if I had to pick a team that might just get tripped up a little bit when the schedule starts getting really tough, I I think it might be them, even though they went 10-3 and three last year and they're they're good. They're really good. But somebody has to suffer, right? We just someone has to take the hits here. And I think it might be them. No, and I liked the way that they used Bo Nix last season. To me, the the Bo Nix first round conversation that started to pop up is insane. Like just is just totally deranged. And the reason that I say that is because I think that Bo Nix is a very good college football player. I think that he fits college football very well. And when he was at Auburn, especially when Brian Harson came into the program, they kind of tried to make him this like natural passer in some ways. And that's never been what that dude is, right? I, 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 we talked a little bit about Brennan Armstrong and Tony Elliott comes in and is like, be a pocket passer. And that's just not what he is. And Bo Nix is somebody that they moved around a lot last year who did a lot on the run, rushed for 500 yards and 14 touchdowns last season, did a lot of stuff off schedule. And I kind of think that's who Bo Nix is. 
right? Like he's somebody who you can create stuff for because he's athletic and has a good enough arm. He's not somebody who's like, he's not, he's not Trevor Lawrence, right? He's not sitting in the pocket and launching. That's not what he's doing. And so anyway, that's an, that's more of an NFL drafting. I don't think that impacts him as a college football player, but it just kind of feels like a lot is going to be on him to give them a special aspect to their team. Like you said, and I don't feel like any of these other teams just totally relies on one guy to add something. You know, Bucky Irving for them rushed for a thousand yards last year. He's back. He's a good player. Um, you know, he's a dynamic player. I, I don't. I mean, he was a fir- he's a first team type player uh, in the Pac-12, but like. I don't think he can carry the load necessarily. I don't think he, what he's I don't think that's what he's here for. And defensively, like they're going to be solid. We'll see if they're spectacular in any way. But I just look back at last season and I mean this in good ways and I mean this in bad ways. It just kind of felt like the Mario Cristobal era. Like it felt like it was like this team had a lot of talent and sometimes the talent was more than other teams and sometimes it wasn't. And that's kind of decided games was depending on which team was more talented and I need to see Dan Lanning kind of elevate some aspects of this team. And obviously we'll kind of see whether they can develop stuff. And, and I might be being unfair to Oregon. Maybe we'll look at the end of the year. We might be, they have eight starters back on each side of the ball. And the last three full seasons throwing out the COVID year, they've won double digit games. Totally. Totally. So they were 12 and two in 2019. They were 10 and four in 2021. They were 10 and three last year. So we're just talking about like of a uh, kind of an average run of the mill 10-win team, which is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Winning 10 games in college football is very hard. This right. is an excellent program, but I just don't know that they're going to get over the top in a really tough conference. And so I think that they are playing a staff and a team right now in Texas Tech in week two that will grind every single drop out of the guys that they have. That is just what they do. And I almost want to call it like an intensity gap in some ways. Like Texas Tech is a an intense, focused, motivated team. And we'll kind of see, I mean, like the flight from Oregon to love, it can't be that fun, right? Like getting off the plane in West Texas probably ain't going to be that fun for these kids from the Pacific Northwest. And the other reason why I think that it's an intriguing game is because I think this is you know, the Utah plays Florida and Baylor. I think that if they were to lose either or even both of those games, we'd kind of just be like, one, Utah starts slow. They did the year before. They did the year before that. And I think that we'd also just kind of be like, well, we think that Florida and Baylor are probably pretty good, right? Like this is probably just them losing to teams that might be good. They also played Baylor on the road. That's kind of a weird situation. I think if Oregon goes and Texas Tech kind of takes it to them, I feel like then we're just out on Oregon. You know, I feel like that's kind of just like, okay, this isn't happening. And we kind of almost, and and again, that's probably unfair. That's probably unfair. But like, I think it'll just be such an important tone setting game for Oregon early in the year to kind of be like, is this a playoff caliber team? Is this a Bo Nix Heisman kind of team? Or is this like a, a great nine and three and go and win a bowl game to make it 10. And I kind of just lean towards the latter. What's your address? Can you say it on the podcast? I'll just I, I guess. Cannot, I, I cannot. Uh, so let's. So we're gonna get. It's uh, three hundred miles, basically, for you to get to Lubbock. So <laughs> we is, expect to see you at this me, game. This week this game. two, 
season is going to be so crazy because we've got Alabama playing Texas. We've got Cal playing Auburn. That's obviously going to be a big one for us. We got Texas A&M playing Miami. We've got Oregon playing Texas Tech. Like it is a, it's a legitimately awesome week too. I, I know I'm missing a couple others. I'm sure I'm missing something awesome that I'm just forgetting about, but like, it's going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be, oh, Baylor, Utah is going to be a pretty good game. Like, I don't know. This week two is going to be good. I, I feel like I can't not be around my computer for Texas at Alabama, but like, I don't know. They have computers in Lubbock. You can watch in the press box. It's fine. Okay. So I will call and get you a credential and you will be there uh, (laughs) on behalf of the college football survivor show. Uh, Joey McGuire will welcome you with open arms. I'm not concerned about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, When we come back, who is not a playoff contender now in the Pac-12 that might be one in five years? We'll do it next on the college football survivor show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, so I like my answer to this question. My only question is whether the team that I'm going to say will actually be in the Pac-12 in five years. Wow, Stanford, that's crazy. (laughs) Will there be a Pac-12 in five years? I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll all work out. It always does in conference realignment, and and everyone uh, is happy true no one's ever very upset no it never goes wrong for anybody okay so i looked so this is i looked before the 2018 season who were new coaches going into the 2018 season five years ago it's like it's kind of like i should have done 2019 but 2018 is a good year to do it there were 13 new power five coaches going into 2018 do you want to guess how many of those 13 are still currently employed by their schools they would have had they would have put in five seasons at their schools i'm gonna guess three that is correct do you know that for a fact do you have you (laughs) looked this up previously no No, that's a very good guess by you it is three scott frost at nebraska fired dan mullen at florida fired chip kelly at ucla he's one of the guys still there jimbo fix fisher texas a&m not jimbo fixer so far (laughs) that is not hey i'm I'm here to turn around jimbo fixer (laughs) Willie Willie Taggart at Florida State fired very quickly. Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State fired. Uh, Chad Morris at Arkansas fired. Kevin Sumlin at Arizona fired. Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee fired and broke 200 rules. Uh, Let's see. Oh, Mario Cristobal at Oregon left, went to Miami. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State still there. Matt Luke at Old Miss fired. Herm Edwards at Arizona State fired. The reason I bring that up, I'm going to pick Colorado. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Standard. <laughs> He's a first-year coach. So I'm saying in five years, he'll have Colorado being a playoff contender in a way they are not right now. And I'm telling you that the coaches who were hired five seasons ago 10 of the 13 are no longer at their schools. So when I say Deion Sanders, Colorado five years from now, do you think to yourself, Doug, what an interesting pick. Deion's a little unorthodox, but I can see Colorado being a place where good assistant coaches and good recruits want to come play. They'll work the transfer portal, maybe slightly more elegantly. I think Colorado can be that. Or do you think to yourself, what are you doing? I don't think Dion is there in five years, and I don't think the next guy is going to make my playoff team. Let me ask this. All scenarios, whether it's 
he's fired or that he leaves. What percent chance do you give of Deion Sanders being the coach there in, in five years? And when you throw in the fact of whether will Colorado be in the Pac-12, the chances of Deion Sanders being the head coach of Pac-12 member Colorado in five years is probably like 4%. I think that you are going way too high with that. I think it's like 0.2%. Like, I think that there is no chance. Because the thing is, if it goes badly, he'll be gone. If it goes well, he'll be gone. Like, and so you kind of have to, like, ride this line where he's pretty good and doesn't get better opportunities but isn't bad enough to get fired and like honestly i think after three years if they're pretty good but not great he might just be like i hate it here like i just don't want (laughs) to like i've i've done everything i can with this program in that i don't want to anymore like that's that's what it feels like it could be and so i think that if you you are saying great you disagree i disagree i disagree so like i i feel like there is at least some scenario where this hire works out but i just i just can't imagine that in five years it's going to be continuing to work out and uh for either side right whichever direction it goes so this question just to take it back to the bigger picture question for a second so usc's gone ucla will be gone but that leaves four teams that we consider playoff contenders for the upcoming season who expect to still be in the Pac-12. And when I look at all four of the coaching staffs that are there, I expect short of Kyle Whittingham retiring, I think all four will probably still be there potentially in five years, which is pretty significant. I mean, obviously we'll see what happens with Dan Lanning. They've lost a couple of coaches to other jobs, but like, I think he wants to be there. I think Kalen DeBoer is going to be there for a long time. Jonathan Smith, it's his alma mater, and I think he can win at a high level. That, I think, makes it kind of difficult for anybody else to to break into this group. So I don't mind buying a lottery ticket, right? Like you can you Colorado can be your Cal, I guess. You know what? And whoever wins more games no. this season uh, gets to win. I don't know. No, I didn't say this season. I didn't say <laughs> over the next five years. This so. season. Yeah. Yeah. So. so do you pass? Is your answer pass? There is no answer. I would never pass. Absolutely not. It is interesting. And <laughs> obviously you got to be like, well, are you are you picking San Diego State? Are you picking SMU to come out of this? Who knows? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We have been sitting here like as sports writers talking for so long about the idea of one of the Arizona schools finally being good. But like, I really like what Arizona State is doing. I really like the staff they've hired. I really like the recruiting they're doing. I really like how reactive and receptive they're being to the way that college football is. You know, their head coach is only three years older than me, which is very weird. But like, I think that, uh, you know, he's relied on people who are more veteran to help him along as well. And so I look. Getting to be a playoff contender is a big ask, but like this is also his alma mater. I don't think that he's going to be just running to take any other job in Kenny Dillingham. I don't even know if I mentioned his name, but he's been around a lot of good programs. He's been around a lot of smart programs. He was at Auburn. He went to Florida State. He went to Oregon under three really good coaches. And I kind of feel like... (laughs) I was going to say that there's some aspect of this being like a, a buying low on an alum like a Pat Fitzgerald. I guess that's not exactly what you want right now. But, nope. you know, 
put, put the rest of that aside. And I think that there's some really nice comparisons. I, I think that they understand what they want to do that's different. They are attacking and recruiting in very specific areas in a better way. I won't mention any of the states that I feel like they're recruiting pretty well because that's probably not relevant. And I definitely don't live in any of them or anything. But... <laughs> How are they doing it, like Travis? Are they really making inroads at like Travis? Oh yeah, absolutely. So actually, the halls over there? Ac- actually, actually, the uh, they hired a receivers coach. I think he's receivers coach named Rashad Samples, and his dad is like considered the don of Black Texas high school football coaches. He coaches at Duncan Hill High School outside of DFW. So like he is like legit. He has bona fides. Um, And he was but but when you just talk about him, he was like the guy for SMU under Sonny Dykes in Texas recruiting. He was like he's also he's actually younger than me. Like he is like a bright up and comer. I think that they just have a really young, excitable staff. I think that a lot of these guys are going to, to have bright futures as well. I promise I'm not just listing people who I know and who, you know, like I have relationships with, but like, you know, they, I am really excited about what they're doing. I think that they understand the pros and cons of that place just a little better, I think, than some other coaching staffs that have come through before. I mean, again, the, the last coaching staff that they hired, they tried to create essentially an NFL model within Arizona State University. And that just wasn't a serious thing to do right like i think that they're going to leverage their advantages just a little bit better so i don't know if they can get to playoff caliber even in a 12 team world but i'm going to be keeping my eye on arizona state in the 2014 season the first year of the playoff arizona state on november 8th beat number eight notre dame 55 31 it moved them to four and one on the season against ranked teams overall they were eight and one. And when the next college football playoff rankings came out, they were sixth in the country. So how about that for Arizona State? So it can be done. They finished 15th in the final playoff rankings that year. So all Kenny Dillingham has to do is get back to early November 2014. And this can happen. And uh, and if he just you know fills the staff with Texas guys, I'm sure they can do it. All right. How many playoff teams will... The Pac-12 have this season, Sean. What is your official prediction? My prediction is one. I think that somebody will emerge. I think the schedule will be so impressive. Like if there if there's a one-loss team, no doubt they are in. No question about it. I think that they'll be in a decent enough position because I'm not saying it's likely. We haven't seen it so far. I don't think it's impossible that we get into a world where there's a two lost team knocking on the door, just because I think that there's not a lot of like truly great teams. I don't think this year, I think that we might have a couple of two lost teams knocking on the door. And when you look at the way the schedules are set up, whichever team comes out and wins the conference championship game, will probably have avenged a loss to at least one of their teams. So I do think that they should feel really good about getting a team in this year. They just, somebody has to emerge. So I'll say zero because I think it's going to mirror too much what happened last year. And I know what happened last year was USC was on the precipice and then Caleb Williams got hurt in the Pac-12 title game and that kind of screwed it up. And then Utah beat him and USC didn't make it. Nobody made it. And there's just little things here or there, right? Washington doesn't lose the goofy conference game to who? Arizona State? Arizona State. Oh, my gosh. That has to be one of the dumbest games that I've seen in the past several years because I, I must reiterate, you mentioned it a little. 
if Washington beats Arizona State off of hiring or off of firing Herm, then USC Washington is a play-in game to the college football playoff. It's a play-in game. And Ohio State has no chance, right? So like it's not, they weren't that far away from doing it last year. But I just think when you think about the round robin, when you think about the way the games play out for Washington and USC, that they're just, you know, if if you think those are the two best teams, I think those two teams probably have the toughest paths, especially when you throw in the Notre Dame game for USC. I just think it can get clunky in a and they're the SEC and the Big Ten are both waiting to pounce with a second team. So I agree with you that a one loss Pac-12 champ champ is in. I just think it's difficult to get there, not because they're not good, but because too many teams are good, which leaves us with our final category. If we had the 12 team playoff right now, how many teams do you think would get in from the Pac-12, remembering that they had five of the top 15 in the final playoff standings a year ago? I think this year they would get three. I do think that they would get three. There's going to be a lot of teams that are right around that two loss precipice, that three loss precipice, right? If, if Oregon last year, for example, was in a 12 team playoff, they would have been right on the cusp. Washington would have been a lock. USC would have been in. Uh, and Utah would have been in because they would have won the Pac 12. And so, you know, again, we're, I think they would have gotten three last year, most likely. And, you know, obviously, I, I'd have to go back and check my math with all the other conferences that we've picked. But I do think that this is a year where there's a lot of high end teams. And the other part that you have to mention, and I mentioned this as well on the Big 12 show, is in a four team world, you're incentivized to hand up your best teams on a silver platter, right? Like to say, we're not even going to challenge Michigan. We're not even going to challenge Ohio State. We're not even going to challenge Clemson. We, there's no point. There's no value in doing it. That changes in a 12-team world where these top-end teams should have an opportunity to get in regardless, and other teams can play their way in. And so, look, if you look back in the 14-team the playoff era, the Pac-12 doesn't have as many opportunities to get two or three teams in probably as obviously the sec and the big 10 and probably not the big 12 but like they'd have more than the acc and i think that when you look at the health of some of these programs heading forward they're going to put themselves in a really good position i think so whenever i look forward to a 12 team playoff i think that you know we've kind of talked about the idea of it's probably three from the sec three from the big 10 and then maybe two each from the Big 12, and I think that maybe two from the the Pac-12 a lot of years. We'll have to kind of see where things sit at the end of realignment, but they should feel really good about where they stand. If they sign a TV contract, my God. Well, I, I thank goodness we didn't, say, we didn't say TV until an hour and eight minutes in, because the most fun thing to talk about in college football is not TV contracts, and we spend a lot of time on that. We don't spend it on this show, because this show's about the playoff. This show's about football. There's plenty of other places to find that stuff. And yes, it does matter because it affects money. It affects realignment. It does affect things that influence what happens on the field. But in a world where USC and UCLA are playing their final seasons in the Pac-12, we just talked about four other teams as playoff contenders in Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, and Washington that are going to be around. And we talked about Arizona State and Colorado as possibly interesting teams for later. And we talked about Cal as an interesting team for later. The Pac-12 is not dead. They have to figure some stuff out. They have to figure what their future is going to look like and where it's going to be shown. But there is good football here. And I do think it's important to remember that because 
They've been left out of the playoff because sometimes they weren't good enough, but that's not where they are now. It's not that they're not good enough. It's that they might be too good. So the 12-team playoff should benefit the Pac-12. They just have to like hang on and get their stuff together a little bit and then make sure that when they're playing these good games, people can watch them and can appreciate them because and, – and but frankly, like in 2024, there's going to be a talent drain because all these people that we're talking about who are back now are all going to be gone. Caleb Williams is going to be gone, and Michael Penix is going to be gone, and Bo Nix is going to be gone, and everybody's going to be gone. It's going to be like, oh, okay. So then you reset, but there's some good established coaches there who aren't going anywhere, and they play good football. They just need to get everything else figured out. All right, that's it. That's five conferences. That's five playoff previews. Go back and listen to them all. They all should fit together. The math should be close. I don't think we said in the end there's going to be 17 teams that make the 12-team playoff next year, right? So we appreciate you guys letting us be part of your college football fandom for now. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.